don't know me, uh, my name is Justin McGinn. My wife Carly, my two boys, Luke and Ephraim, are here this morning. It has been a pleasure for us to be a part of the Cross Point family this past year. We have transitioned from church planting in Italy into moving into the UK at the end of this year, Lord willing. And it's just been a, a joy, and it has made us really happy to get to know so many of you on an individual level and to be able to live life with you here as we have, seems to be coming out of the pandemic. Um, and it's just a joy also to be able to see how our partnership together as planting in Europe and also planting here in Peachtree City, that partnership deepens by us together coming to the Word this morning and looking at the text. I want to read the text for us. In the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 14, Matthew, chapter 14, verses 22 to 33, Matthew 14, verses 22 to 33. Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost, and they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, O oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshiped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. Let's pray this morning. Holy Father, we need you now to come to us by your Spirit and to strip away any pride or sin or anything that could be blinding us from seeing, as you, seeing you as you truly are this morning, that you open our hearts and minds that we take our eyes and our minds off of how we think you should meet our need and that you become our need. And I pray for us as a church family that we see you as you are. And that, that realization causes us to enter into a life of authentic worship, worshiping you not just by songs and voice and song, but but by our lives and the way we live our lives and applying your gospel in our everyday. We ask this in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. So there's a lady who lives in our little village back in Italy. Her name's Sylvia. And uh, when we first planted in 2014, uh, Sylvia started coming around. And Sylvia was a single mom, had a teenage son, her teenage son would come to our camps on occasion. He was exposed to the gospel. And Sylvia started coming around, and we were just so joyful to see her come around. And 
it seemed as if she wanted to know Jesus, that she wanted to know more about Jesus. We would meet with her every week. She would come early to our Sunday services. And I know it sounds strange, but we were just thrilled because she was the first native born of our village that was making an effort to come around and see what we were doing. And it's strange because in Italy, you may have three or four first-time visitors a year in a little village like we lived in. Sylvia always wanted to hang out. She always wanted to be around people. My wife Carly would visit her. They'd go out shopping. They'd walk. They'd talk. They'd clean houses together. It seemed as if Sylvia was making headway. Every time she wanted to sit down and talk, she wanted to fix another Meet up another time where we could get to know each other. But after a couple of months, Sylvia suddenly didn't want to have conversations anymore. And when pushed by us as to why she was backing away, her response was, I never came to church to be like you. I, I never got the whole crazy Jesus thing. I'm not like you. Her words, I want to remain a Catholic and an atheist. I don't do the crazy stuff that you do. I just came to have friends. I'm alone. I came to have community. Sylvia's response shocked us all as a church. It shocked us because we had invested and poured and and loved on and prayed for so much. But I think that her response speaks to us, church, in a deeper way. It speaks to us as the text is speaking to us this morning. You see, it, looks as if, it looked as if Sylvia was excited about Jesus, but she was only excited about what having friends and community would give her. The idea of having someone close when she needed it. Sylvia didn't want Jesus for who Jesus was because she didn't accept him for who he truly was in her life. As the months went by, as the years went by, people would come in needing a job, needing money, needing a sense of identity fulfilled, really, really excited about what we were doing, really positive about how we were reaching our community in in good, positive ways, so they came around. And weeks went by, months went by, and they they would walk away. They would walk away. And time and time again, we were so hurt as a church family when we would love on someone just to see that they did not accept Jesus as he truly was. I think Matthew, the gospel writer of our text this morning, is showing us that it's not just Sylvia who struggles with Jesus's identity, but the very people who follow Jesus in this text, especially his disciples. I think this text this morning is showing us That Jesus is not just some great guy that comes when you need him and and answers when you call and gives you exactly what you think you need, but he is the Son of God. Look at verse 22 with me. Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. So we have to understand why does he put the disciples in the boat? And in order to understand that, we have to understand what has just happened, what what story has just taken place. Well, Jesus has had five to 10,000 people sit around him, listening to him speak, and they're hungry. 
When you have thousands of people, what do you do when they're hungry? Jesus does something unnatural. He does something that only God can do with five loaves and two fish. Now, up to this point, we have to understand, in all the Gospels, they testify to the fact that Jesus, up to this point, was treated as only a miracle performer. He's the, he's the type of guy that will do the job for you when you need him to. He'll be there for you when you call, right? Jesus, we need some, we need some wine. We got this wedding issue. And they look to him as someone who could perform for them. So Jesus at this point does something that only God can do. He turns five loaves into 5,000. He turns a little bit of food into enough food, enough abundance to feed thousands and thousands of mouths. And we can just imagine what it would have been like for the Israelites, for the Jews at that time, seeing this unfold before them, see this scene Images would be coming to mind of stories and pastoral traditions of when Israel was in the wilderness with their leader Moses and Yahweh God provided for them. He provided for them with a bread-like substance, manna. They didn't have to work for it. They didn't have to strive for it. It just fell from heaven. And Yahweh gave them bread to show them that he was their bread. And so we have here, in this story, Christ giving these thousands of people bread, not just to fill their stomachs, but to try to convey something to them, to try to convey what his real identity is, who he is, to show them that he is the son of God. The five loaves and the two fish, the miracle isn't the result. Jesus was, his identity was the center of that story. But what happens? In the Gospel of John, chapter 6, verse 14, John tells us that as soon as the miracle takes place, the crowds, because they're convinced of the power behind it, the crowds were about to come and take Jesus by force and make him king. Now, they wanted to make him king not because of who he was, but because of what he was giving them. Jesus was useful to them, not precious. I imagine some of them were thinking, if he could provide us food, what could we do against the Roman Empire if we had an unlimited supply of food? What else could he do for us? What else could he change and transform for us? They wanted him to be king because he gave them bread, not because he was their bread. And so it didn't really matter what Jesus was trying to convey in trying to parcel out these loaves and fish. They were going to accept him on their terms, not his. And so perhaps there are some of us this morning when when we come to Jesus, do we come to him on our terms, on our preconceived notions of who he is? Maybe we have these presuppositions of who he is from how our family has shown us or, or what our traditions say or, or what the culture in this area says what life should be with Jesus. And it's like he comes to us and, and we're looking at him in the face, but all we can keep our mind on is what's in his hand, the bread, how he can, how he can give me that need 
And we can't imagine that the expected arrival of the Son of God was coming not just to meet our desires, but to completely change our desires. Do we see him as he truly is? The disciples apparently didn't see him as he truly was. And so what does Jesus do? He dismisses the crowds, he makes the disciples get into a boat, and he has them row to the other side of the Sea of Galilee at night. He doesn't go with them. He wants them to be alone this time as they go across. And my question here is, if they didn't understand his identity with changing the molecular structure of five loaves into 5,000, how will they see? How will they see him as he is? Look at verse 23 with me. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. He comes back down the mountain. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. So when the disciples don't see Jesus as he is, Jesus does something to make them see. He has to take the bread out of their hands, right? Off their minds. He has to put them in a situation where they will see. And so after they've worked all day, just imagine, I mean, feeding thousands of people, the 12, distributing. I don't know about you, but I'd have my mind on the basket that was left over for me to take home. You're working. You're worn out. You're exhausted. Normal people don't do this after they've worked all day. We might say something like, Jesus isn't supposed to do something like this. This seems drastic to have the disciples get in a boat and row for hours into the middle of a storm. But that's what they're doing. They're rowing and they come into this storm in the middle of the night. The wind is coming for them. They're wet. It's dark. And this is not a situation that is safe for them. It's not a situation that they want to face. So let's think about that for a second. If we were honest, how would we respond if Jesus did something like this to us? And I'm not talking about putting us in a boat in water. I'm talking about leaving us alone, put us in, in the dark, allowing us to experience something as if it's the path of a storm. What does your storm look like? Does your storm look like my spouse doesn't understand what I'm going through? I have no friends. My life isn't the same after my kids have left the house. I'm daily struggling with anxiety and depression and I don't know who to tell. There's always gonna be a path into a storm. There's always gonna be that storm there for us. And if we're gonna be pushed into it, how are we going to react? What do we say when our Dad finds out he has cancer, like happening to our friend last week. Life's not fair. This isn't supposed to happen whenever I ask and invite Jesus into my life. I didn't sign up for this. How do we react? Matthew is showing us here in this text, I believe, he's showing us that Jesus isn't coming to us to give us the calm, 
happy, safe, great life, great Christian life that the Bible Belt tells us we should have when we meet Jesus? How do we react? Because Jesus doesn't come to us to give us a Jesus we want. He comes to us to give us who he truly is. And I think Matthew is telling us here, as he's telling his readers and his audience, if we can't take our eyes off the bread, whatever the bread may be for us, he will take it out of your hand and he will put you in a situation where the only person you have to look to is him. But here's the problem for us as humans. It may be a, it may be a situation that is harder for us to imagine. It may last longer than we would expect it but we will be led into it. Look at verse 24 with me. Verse 24 says that the disciples were left to themselves battling the wind and the waves until the fourth watch of the night. The fourth watch is Roman soldier talk of between three and 6 a.m. So it's not like Jesus is just leaving them there in the boat for a few minutes to row. It's not as if they've just rowed for an hour or two. They've been at it now all night and they're finding themselves between 3 and 6 a.m. In the Greek, the term of a long way from land is actually pretty approximate. It's about three and a half miles from the shoreline. So if your boat capsizes in the middle of a storm, there's no point of survival. You're not going to just swim back. So Jesus isn't just putting them in a harmful or dangerous situation. He's actually bringing them to their breaking point as people. And this is what we see what happens when they are reaching their breaking point. Verse 25, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it is a ghost or it is a spirit. And they cried out in fear. If I can just break this down for us, some of us here this morning have been at our breaking point for days, maybe weeks, maybe months, the wind isn't stopping. The marriage counseling that I thought would help fix them isn't fixing them. The medicine that I thought would be the last ditch effort to relieve what I'm going through isn't helping me. This career path I've chosen, I cannot take it anymore, but I don't know what I'm gonna do if I change jobs. What is our breaking point? The sin that is eating inside of me, I don't know how to stop it, but I don't know who to tell. My attempt at controlling every micro aspect of my life and my children's life, it's crumbling. What is our breaking point? Some of us in here this morning may be in the fourth watch of the night and we cannot go any further. And when the disciples feel as if they cannot go any further, Jesus comes to them. Jesus walks to them on the waves of the sea. Any science buffs in here? I love science. People aren't supposed to do this. People can't do this. People shouldn't do this. And this is the reason why they think he's a spirit and not a man. 
And yet all throughout Matthew's gospel, there is one thing that he wants us to see this morning. It's one thing that we need to get if we haven't gotten yet, and that is this. If we were a Jew, if we were someone from Israel watching this scene unfold and take place, scriptures from the Old Testament would be coming to mind. Scriptures describing Yahweh and describing what Yahweh does. Scriptures like from the book of Job, not just in Genesis where he brings peace in the midst of chaotic waters, but in the book of Job in chapter 9 and 38, Job tells us that God, Yahweh, stretches out the heavens, that Yahweh tramples and walks on the ways of the sea, that he enters into the springs of the sea and he walks into the recesses of the deep. The psalmist tells us that Yahweh's way is through the sea and his path of the great waters. The prophet Isaiah does the same. This is what God does. This is what Yahweh does. He takes his midnight stroll on water. And even if they had these images in mind from their scripture, they think he is a spirit until he speaks. Verse 27. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. As all of us are theologians, we have to think about who this text is written to. And as I was thinking about it, you know, the the text, this text, the Gospel of Matthew, more than likely was distributed in parts of Turkey, Asia Minor, the Roman Empire, between 50 and 70 AD at some point. In the midst of that 20-year period, the early church faced incredible trial and persecution. Persecution from their Jewish brothers and sisters and persecution from the very empire that wanted to wipe them out. And so just imagining someone from the early church context listening to someone read this text as my brother has just been killed for his faith, what would I be listening to What would I be listening for? I wouldn't have this text in front of me. What would I be hearing? The early church needed to know that they weren't alone. And Jesus' words here weren't just purposeful for the disciples in the midst of their storm. It was was purposeful and there was scope for the people who were going through persecution. And this is what Matthew is trying to convey to them. Jesus tells the disciples, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. The words, it is I, ego eimi in the Greek, is the same words for I am in the Old Testament. That's what he's trying to convey. He's trying to convey the same words that Yahweh used to reveal himself to Moses in the Exodus. These two words, ego eimi, we find in exactly the center of this story that Matthew is writing. 90-something words on one side of them, 90-something words on the other side. And in our 11-verse passage this morning, in the very center, which two words do we find? Ego eimi. I am. These two words were meant to communicate one thing and one thing only, church. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the Son of God. But we have to ask ourselves, why? Why would the disciples be brought to this point? Why couldn't they see him as I am before? 
In Mark's gospel, chapter 6, verses 52, we may not have it, but chapter 6, 52 of Mark, Mark tells us the reason why they were even put into this situation was because they did not understand about the loaves. That is to say, they didn't understand Jesus was Yahweh when he was trying to show them he was their bread as Yahweh was their bread. They didn't understand. And this is why they go into this experience to finally see him as the son of God. They wanted the loaves. They wanted the power of what the loaves meant more Jesus. They wanted to worship Jesus, not as their king, but as the person who could give them what they wanted. They were around Jesus. They were distributing the loaves, but they wanted the power of what the loaves brought, fighting against the Roman Empire more than what Jesus was to them. And so perhaps, just perhaps, there are some of us here this very morning who when we are around Jesus, we are around Jesus, but our real hope is in money, we will always be left wanting more and feeling that we don't ever make enough. If you're around Jesus this morning and yet your real love and affection is found in sex, you will always be searching for intimacy in the void that remains every morning after. If you're around Jesus and yet your identity is found in your socioeconomic status or your gender or your ethnicity, Perhaps you'll be temporarily satisfied as you feel superior to others. Perhaps. If you're around Jesus and you think of yourself as a very tolerant individual, one that's open to all types of people, all types of walks of life, then that joy will be short-lived. It will be short-lived as you become angry and intolerant of the very people you once loved because now they're bigots to you. If we find ourselves like Sylvia, who we are around Jesus, but we only want Jesus for what this community can give us, then we will always feel alone. We will always want more. If we find ourselves like the disciples, around Jesus, but not able to see him for who he truly is, he comes to us now, church family. He comes to us now, and he's telling us, don't be afraid. I want to be your joy. I want to be your love. I want to be your hope and your security. I am. I am. Everything changed for the disciples that night, and it is here that they truly see him for who he truly is. Look at verse 32 and 33 with me. And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased And those in the boat worshiped him, saying, truly, you are the son of God. Matthew's purpose this morning, church, in this passage, in this text, is to show us that when the disciples finally see him as God, when they don't praise him or they don't adore him as just their political stooge, but they truly worship him as the son of God, they worship. They worship. They're captivated by that worship. 
Crosspoint family, the way in which God's kingdom grows, the way in which the nations are reached, the way in which our neighborhoods are reached is that people see Jesus for who he truly is. And that worship can only happen if we're worshiping. That change can happen. That change can happen in this city right now if they see what true worship is. What does this mean for us? What does this mean for how we live our lives? What does this mean for how we feel and think when we walk out of these doors today? It means that when our inner lives, not our outer lives, our inner lives, our weekly schedules, our monthly budgets, our marriages, our family, the things so dear and precious to us, when they reflect a worship of Jesus as the Son of God, people will worship also. Not only will we be changed, the people around us will be changed. That will happen. I promise you that. If we worship Jesus as he truly is, not only do we change, the people around us will be transformed as well. And so we need to be thinking as a church. And when we think as a church missionally of what, what we're gonna do and how God's gonna grow and, and all these things, when we think about this, it doesn't primarily need to be how are we going to pay or facilitate the growth God gives? Our question instead needs to be, church family, are we in this room captivated by a love for Jesus as he truly is? And is that love reflecting outward missionally? We don't need to be asking questions only of how many people do we need to start a new home group? How many services do we need to facilitate new growth? Or how this fall's launch is going to be, how organized it's gonna be. All of those things are well and good. But primarily we need to be asking, are we convinced? Are we convinced? Are we captivated by Jesus as he truly is, as the son of God? And is that reality reflected missionally when people don't see us as we truly are? Is that being reflected in the way we live? As we close this morning, there may be a couple of you looking at this passage and analyzing the passage and wondering, Justin, you forgot something. Why didn't you talk about Peter? Why didn't you talk about him walking on water and, and his faith and, and, and falling into the water? And we all know the story quite well, don't we? We've heard it. I didn't mention it because I don't think Matthew thought Peter was the center of this 11 verse passage. I didn't mention it because Peter isn't the center of this passage. Jesus is. Perhaps we can make mistakes when we, when we look at Peter walking on water as the center of what this passage means. For many of us this morning, though, as we close, we'd like to believe that Christ is the center of our story. We'd like to believe he is with us. We want and we truly desire to put all of our attention on him in our lives. And yet, we just find ourselves daily rowing against wind, rowing into constant storm. That's, that's life. It's not just one or two of us. That's all of us. That's life. We're rowing constantly into something. We are tired. It is dark. 
Some of us feel alone. And we think, if he were just here with me, if Jesus would just show himself to me, if he would just reveal himself to me, then I think I would be okay. Then the darkness might go away. What if the darkness doesn't go away? What if the pain and suffering doesn't subside? Is he still the son of God to you? Are you still convinced of him being with you in that moment of storm? Because he is, and he wants you to know this morning, it is he, the great I am, so take heart.